And then Cindy Lopez, she's been my executive assistant for 15 years. Actually, she's the boss. She's mean, so please pray for me. She's a dictator. Please pray for me. She tells me what to do all the time, and I do it. Pastor Steve is my boss, the president, but I fear Cindy. I don't fear him. I fear Cindy. She organizes my world and demands that I stay organized. And I am highly unorganized as a person. I am very spontaneous. And so thank you, Cindy. Anything that I ever do that produces fruit, the reason is Cindy, and I mean that. She is behind it all. Yes. And um, I am going to get to the Bible, and I want to make a confession. The details of organizing me are complex. They're very, very complex. Um, thousands of details, and those details shift. And so getting everything right is very difficult to do, and she does that. But she works for me, so I mess up her work frequently. I recently messed up something that will affect you this morning. I did not prepare to preach this morning. I found out about this, which she told me about many weeks ago, um, so I came very unprepared. She texted me yesterday and said, hey, they need your sermon for Sunday. I said, hey, I'm not preaching Sunday. She said, hey, you idiot, you are preaching Sunday. I said, hey, I am not. So guess what? I'm going to preach today. But what I'm going to preach is a meditation that I've had uh, for a while. So this is off the cuff. You'll notice no notes. But I'm going to let you into my little dark mind and a passage of Scripture that I have been meditating on for a year now. It's Psalm 3. If I was to entitle this, I just made this up sitting down there. If I was to entitle this sermon, it would be this. I would lift it from the seventh verse of Psalm 3, and many Bibles have this at the top, but it is the dominant theme. It's, save me, O God. Save me, O God. How many of you have ever had a save me, oh God, day? How many of you have ever had a save me, oh God, week? The last two years, how many of you have had a save me, oh God, last two years? How many of you look at the South African government and say, save me, oh God? How many of you see America's politics on the screen and you say, save them, O oh God? Now, that is a lesson on this psalm. This psalm is an invocation psalm. It's a complex psalm. It's multi-layered, and there are twists to the plot that are shocking. There's what's on the surface. What does it say? Then there's a deeper, what is the significance beyond the psalm? And then at the end, there's a twist to the plot that implies every human that's ever lived. So we're going to open this, and I'm going to meditate to you and walk you through this in five movements with no points. 
So it's a pointless sermon. <laughs> Open to, to Psalm chapter 3, and I did at least give them the passage, because it dawned on me, the only thing I probably should do is start in the text, stay in the text, and finish in the text. If you do that, you're always safe. Psalm chapter 3 begins like this. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, I want to let you know, sometimes in the Bible, the, the authors will add things like that so that you will know this. This is actually original to the text. So immediately, it's a son who the father is fleeing from a son. So the moment you open this, you realize, oh my goodness, this is horrible. And then David continues by this, oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, and here's my title, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked, and the final stanza, salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessings be on your people. Let's go back to the top, a little context for what is here in this psalm. The writer of this psalm was King David, David, the great king of Israel. David had been uh, an amazing king until one moment, one brief moment in his life that he committed a serious sin. He decided to not go to war, stayed at his home saw a young woman, had her summons to his palace, which probably meant that she, he forced himself on her. I'll be very careful. A baby was the product of that. The ensuing result of that sin seed that was sown was double murder, two murders, cover up, baby born, baby dead, and the cataclysmic effect on his family was staggering. It was shocking. The family paid a massive price for that. He had three wives, and one of the stepsons, or one of, one of his sons from one of the wives, Ammon, raped Tamar. It was his half-sister. And Absalom was her brother. And because David was in this sin spiral... He did nothing about that, probably because he had blood on his own hands, probably because his own life was dark, and he felt 
disqualified to deal with his own children and the darkness that had crept into his family. And so he didn't deal with it. And so Absalom, whose sister was raped, kept waiting for the dad to take care of it, and he did not. So he took matters in his own hand and went out and murdered his half-brother. Absalom left to hide for years. And at, at one moment, David invited him to come back to Jerusalem. So, so Absalom moved back to Jerusalem and his father would not even talk to him, didn't even come to him, didn't even do anything to change it. And the sin and the depravity just kept snowballing. And Absalom, deeply bitter because of, and you can read this all in, in 1 Samuel, I think. This story's in 1 Samuel about 17, 18, 19 in there. But Absalom grew so bitter about his father that he decided, I'm, I'm going after that man. So he stood at the gate of the city, Absalom did. And he knew the condition of his father. He was in a dark place. And, and so Absalom... He, he would stand at the gate where people would bring their problems and he would solve them until he had this majority of the people had won them over to him, even the generals of the army. And that's where this psalm takes place because Absalom made the decision to overthrow his own father, kill him, and take the throne. And so David takes the family and they flee with a few soldiers, his private guards, and they flee. Enter this psalm. It begins in the first movement. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. I want you to think about this first part. This was such a bad thing. As tens of thousands of soldiers were coming to kill him. And, and remember, everybody in the kingdom knew all of these things about David. And guess what they were saying? Not even God can redeem this. Not even God. Save me, oh my God, days are when you have messed up so bad that people look at your circumstance and they say, not even God can fix this. Not even God. Many marriages get in those kinds of places. Families, kids, teenagers, making decisions where the whole of your life seems it comes so unraveled because of your sin. Listen, who do you blame for this? Well, first of all, you got to blame David. But then you got to blame Absalom. But then you got to blame the sins of all of those people that drank the bitter waters that would dethrone their own king. Who to blame? Well, a whole lot of people. And and, and this what what the what David wants you to feel is the impossibility of the moment. He was cornered. He was hiding in cisterns and moving around so they wouldn't catch him and kill him. I want to tell you something. If, 
If you're not in one of those days, save this because you will be in one of those places someday. It will be a dark, bad place. And some of it may be your fault. Some of it may not be your fault. How many of you know our governments make decisions that affect us and it's not our fault? The times and seasons we live in. Then he moves into the second movement. And here here is what's remarkable to me. When I first started meditating on this psalm, I got angry. I got angry because I thought, David, in this psalm, you should have said, God, I really messed up. God, it was my sin. I'm the one that wrecked my son. My son, the reason he came after me was my fault. He doesn't mention that at all. At all. I'm thinking, you sick man. I talk to my Bible an awful lot. Cindy knows that. I talk to my Bible. He doesn't do that. Why? Because he knew it was his fault. He seriously knew. And everybody was telling him. As he was riding out of town fleeing, there was this man named Shimei who started picking up rocks, cursing him, and throwing it at him. Why? Because he knew. He knew about David. This wicked man, David. He knew what he had done. Everybody knew. But this is what David says. And this is profound. He says, I'm a dead man walking. And so is my family. And he says this. But you, O God, are a shield around me. You're a shield around me. I am helpless you're a shield. If anything gets through that shield, God, you let it through. If any, if any payment I have, you are, that payment that gets through, that price I have to pay, that is from my discipline. That is because you love me. That is because I've sown seed and I'm reaping a harvest and you either kill the harvest I'm reaping or you let it through and you let me pay a price. But God, you are my shield. You're my shield. Any sin that a human ever creates, please understand this. There is never anything that your big, bad, sinful self can ever create that God cannot redeem. There is nothing that mankind can do to bend His will. In fact, in the second plot, there's such a twist, and we'll see that in this passage in a minute. But he says, you, O God, are my shield. There are times in my past and in me dealing with some of my closest friends. I had a friend. I had a friend who was very famous, who stole a lot of money, who was cheating on his wife. It was horrible. And I was sitting in his office in the aftermath. Actually, I felt something was wrong, so I went and appealed to him many times. But something's wrong. No, 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 nothing's wrong. I remember sitting in his office, and he was right where David was. It was so bad 
you sit back and you go, man, God can't even fix this. And you know, 35 years later, God did a good job of fixing it. All things work together for good. To them who love the Lord, to them who are called according to His purpose. You see, this psalm is called an invocation psalm. It's called a complaint psalm. It's called a lament psalm. It's a very complex psalm. An invocation is when you yell, Oh God! That's called an invocation. Why? Because you're saying, God, you have to split the sky. There is no other hope. So when you're reading the Psalms and it says, oh God, and remember it says that four times in this Psalm, because there is no other hope. You split the sky or I die. There is no other hope. You, oh God, are a shield around me. You are my glory, all kinds of things in David's life were His glory. But He was stripped of all of that. He was so humiliated. Everyone knew His dirty little secrets. He left the glory of the palace. He left the glory of the might of His military. He left behind the crown of His kingdom. And He was stripped. And He had nothing. And he, in that moment, he said, you are, you're the only thing I have left. The weightiness, glory means weightiness. The weightiness, the only weightiness I have, the only glory I have is found in my walk with you, God. Because you're my glory. You're my shield, you're my glory. Then he says this. He says, you are the lifter of my head in my shame. Humans can't help me in my shame. Because that's where he was at. If you've ever looked at someone to encourage them that's in a place like this, it's almost as though the words bounce off because they, they know without God there's no. But imagine God grabbing your little fat cheeks and pulling them up just like you do your babies and say, look at me. We'll work this really bad thing out. You are the lifter. You're the lifter of my head. I remember my daughter, she was five and she was a Drama queen. She still is today. She probably got all that from me. But anyhow, she's very animated. You know, she's like me. When she was five, she was very dramatic. And I remember she had sinned by lying to my wife down the river, and my wife believed every word of it. And when I got home, Renee told me, my wife Renee, not this Renee, my wife Renee. And I said, Renee, honey, babe, that is an absolute lie. I'll go talk to her. So I remember I went into my bedroom and I sat down on the bed. I called, called little Amanda in and I was sitting on my bed. And I said, babe, look at me. Look at me. Come here. I said, why did you lie to your mama? 
And she goes, I am such a rat. And slapped, that was a quote, I am such a rat. I had to say, okay, wait just a minute. I got up and left the room. I was dying out in the hall. I, I thought, I don't think I can quit laughing and go back in and deal with this very serious thing. And, and, and I walked back and she was like this. And I had, to, I had to lift her head up because I could tell, oh my goodness, she actually has remorse as a five-year-old. My goodness. And for a woman, having remorse at five is pretty remarkable. <laughs> and so anyhow, um, I probably ought to move on. I forgot I left the text. So let's get back to the text. Lifter of my head. And then he says this. He says, I cried out to the Lord and he answered from his holy hill. Four moves. Your shield around me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. And when I cry out to you, you answer. You answer. God, you will answer. Regardless of how silent we think the heavens are when God is silent, it is the best, most appropriate silence ever in the history of silence. Because when he speaks... It's always timely. It's always right. It's always rich. Then he moves to the second movement. And don't panic. I'll just quit when my time runs out. That's, that's why this is not a sermon. This is not well oiled. You are listening to my deepest thoughts. Next, I lay down and slept. One of the key differences between us and God is we have to sleep. A constant reminder to you that you are not God is that you have to go to bed at night. So I want to remind you of something. The hardest thing to do is when you are cornered. And when it's a day like this, to realize you have to sleep. You are not God. And you worrying and you not sleeping doesn't help anything. It destroys you. You have to tell your mind to shut up and sit down, just like David did in one of his psalms when he said, I quieted my soul. He said, shut up. Sit down. There's no hope unless God shows up anyhow. And he said this. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Now, I've never had trouble where there were many thousands of people against me. So this is a big deal. Big deal. Next. Verse 7. He moves into this. He says, Arise, O Lord. This is the invocation. Okay, God, you've heard it. God, arise. Save me, O my God. 
For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. What does this mean? It means this. Strike them on the cheek. In other words, the arrogant that are coming to kill me, humble them. Strike them on the cheek. Remove their teeth. In other words, this impending force that's coming, weaken them. Like pulling the teeth out of a lion. Pulling the teeth out of a hyena. How many of you know that? greatly weakens them. And that's what he's saying. These hordes that are coming, I have no idea how you can do it. Humble them. Humble them. Remove the power from them. And then he says this, salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. Now this is the twist of the plot. His son Absalom just thinks he's chasing a bad dad down. He thinks he's just replacing a king, but oh no, he is not replacing just a king. Remember, hundreds of years from then, there's going to be someone born who would be called the son of David. Twist to the plot. This this person that would be born hundreds of years later would be called the son of David. And he would be born in the city of David, which is Bethlehem. So the twist to the plot is this. Absalom, in all of his hatred, in all of the the accusations that were true, was now aligned and arrayed against the very will of God as he was coming to take out the sinner. Oh, because God would save David. Oh no, He would save David. He had plans for David. And David's sin could not bend the will of God. Because there would come someone named Jesus Christ. Who prophetically it was said would flow from the lineage of David. And I want you to know something. You cannot screw up the will of God. You cannot thwart the will of God twist to the plot. Oh, God saved me. God's up there going, brother, I'm going to save you, but not because of you. I'm going to save you because I have a will. I want to tell you something about South Africa. South Africa is rapidly heading to exactly where God wants South Africa to head. And that's when Jesus comes back and restores all things. That is our hope. I don't care who our president is in the U.S. The U.S. is rapidly heading towards this great day when Jesus Christ will split the sky and justice will be measured out and mercy will happen and it will all be redeemed finally. But you see the twist of this plot. Little did they know That God had plans for David. And even David couldn't screw up those plans. The last most shocking twist to the plot. Is when you look in this psalm, you're trying to locate yourself. Okay, God, first move of hermeneutics is what does it say? Second move is what it did to me. Third movement is where am I? In the plot, you locate yourself. Well, we would all locate ourselves with David, wouldn't we? But you know what? 
We're actually Absalom in this. Because every person was born in sin. Every person was raised as an enemy of God until that day comes that you bow your knee and say yes to Jesus. So the ultimate twist to the plot, when we locate ourselves, we're Absalom. If Jesus is our Lord, then we're David. And this, my friends, is Psalm 3. At the end, he says, salvation is yours, O God. Now listen to me. You may be sitting here and you're still Absalom. Jesus has never become your Lord. In short, what Lord means is you repent from the way you did life and you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you turn, and He is the center of your life. Anything else is not Christianity. Repent and believe. That's it. If you're in Absalom, the end, the last tag nine, save me, O God, means you can switch from being an Absalom today. You can change. If you're a David, Jesus is your Lord. But you have screwed up big time. I mean, I think big time is adultery or rape, murder, cover up, destroy your family. How many of you think that's kind of a big time deal? He can save you too. 